0: Land started to become really important to everything I did. It it started off as just a sort of a a nag on the sleeve. It's like, okay, where are you? And then it's how to be here in a good way. But yes, I think in the last five years, it's really become like all encompassing when maybe it wasn't so much before. It's really just trying to articulate the ongoing effects of living in settler society.
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Vicarious,
2: a podcast that dives into the creative minds of me, Alex Scott, and me, Karen White, and anyone else who will talk to us. And today, that person is Carrie Campbell. Carrie is a lecturer in the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University, as well as a musician and music educator. His research interests include philosophy of education, place and land based pedagogy, multimodal curriculum development, and music and arts education.
1: Through his ongoing work as Director of Research for the Registered BC Society, The Group, Carrie collaborates with teachers, artists, and community members to create curriculum resources and digital tools that connect people and students with their own localities, communities, and public
2: spaces. Welcome, Carrie. Yes.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for coming. It's It's fun to hear your bio read out. It's a... it makes you embarrassed.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Embarrassment's fun
0: sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's good to be embarrassed sometimes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. That
2: rush of
3: (laughs) adrenaline.
0: Exactly. You need that.
2: It's at once ego boosting and humbling. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: (laughs) So Carrie, we start off each episode with one creative thing that we've done this week. So you know, we won't put you on the spot and make you go first. Karen, can you share with me one creative thing that you've done? Yes, we'll put me on the spot
1: first. Yes, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, well, I was thinking about it and I remembered a rehearsal I had this week, which is with my band, Earth Earthtones, uh, we mentioned many times before. We're getting ready to record in a couple weeks And so we're getting some songs ready and um, they're songs that we wrote quite a while ago now we've had like some trouble getting the recording set up so they're you know older songs that we thought we kind of had set and finished but we've been working them and we kind of workshopped a song uh, in our rehearsal and it was really cool to kind of give it, you know, a new life again. And we came mm. up with something It's like a piano part. It wasn't it wasn't something too big, but it was just something kind of cool to get excited about the song again. You know, a song that was kind of seen as done already. Mm. So, yeah, that was that was pretty creative, I guess. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Awesome.
2: Yeah. What about you, Alex? So actually, Carrie and I have been talking about maybe putting together a jazz set. Oh. So that's true. I've been, yeah, good
0: point, good point.
2: Yeah, that's my creative thing. I've been practicing jazz songs again, which I haven't done for ages. Nice. And just reexploring like some of my old favorites, like <laughs> ones that I like to listen to, ones that I performed or learned in jazz school, and then also some ones that Carrie is a fan of and that and that he plays. So that that was my creative thing. Is just mm-hmm. practicing music again. It was a nice change from working on what I usually work on, which is just my own stuff.
1: Nice. Yeah. Nice. I really... I really love practicing jazz um and going back to it after having some distance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because yeah, me too. Yeah. right i i think you know when I, we were in the program it just like brought out stress like the idea of performing jazz so mm-hmm. to go back to it now is is a nice change right it's, it's yeah. a lot more enjoyable
2: <laughs> it's also really nice to be in the space of remembering what you've learned and being aware of what has become integrated without even fully realizing it like mm-hmm. I feel like there are some things that I do now a lot more naturally than I did when I was learning them in school. So Mm. it's nice to kind of have that those waters have sort of settled. I'm sure mm. there's plenty that I've forgotten and that I'm like you know that I've that I've lost but <laughs> right it is cool to be like oh I, I I feel like I can come to these songs with like fresh eyes but mm. also this base of knowledge that I haven't touched for a little bit mm-hmm, so, yeah totally. it was really it was really refreshing nice yeah. similar
0: to you Alex I, I've been you know like we've been talking I've been playing. A bit more jazz nice. uh, music, <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and that uh, always seems to kind of correspond when when you know you're I'm at the end of a semester and I'm marking and then I get overwhelmed by reading and writing and and that sort of thing and I can only play music but but not for too long but I just kind of yeah so mm-hmm. I'm in that stage right now where it's I'm playing a, music yeah
2: it's like it's become another form of decompression yeah, again yeah at and this like point in my life yeah, yeah at this point yeah,
0: yeah. And especially. Kind of returning to um, yeah jazz music, and I'm lucky. I play with one colleague at SFU who's a math education uh, prof, and we play every week.
3: Oh, nice! Playing cool.
0: jazz standards, which is nice because it keeps nice. it keeps up the. Uh, that's only been happening for one year, maybe.
3: That's a long yeah, time.
0: Yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah. Been good. it's been You're good. Doing yeah, it yeah, yeah, Weekly it's, for it's been a nice. year.
2: That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah, just keeping that repertoire, yeah,
1: alive. It. Yeah, that's and what your it is.
2: Skills, yeah, sharp. Your skills.
0: You know. Yeah. But you're right. Some things, some things you don't practice at all, but they gradually become sort of integrated into your musicality without you doing anything really, except for living. Yeah. Exactly. Which is kind of nice to come back to. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's still there. It's still there. Even some of it stronger than ever. Some of it's gone. And it's so funny (laughs) too, to like not really know what you've forgotten. Right. I mean, but, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's hard to know. Yeah, hard to know. But you know, it. you know, there's a gap. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Sometimes when I'm teaching, I like, you know, just have that sense of I should know <laughs> something right now that I don't. Yeah. Like, it's not, not quite coming to me in this moment.
2: Totally. Yeah. yeah. Carrie, one question that we ask all our guests to start off the episode is, have you always considered yourself a creative person?
0: Hmm, that's a good question. Um at least since I was like pretty like young, so around like 7 or so. Nice. You know, I know I think, yes. I think I think I think always, yeah. Probably always. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, and yeah. how did you come to that realization or like how did you form that identity at such a young age? What what were the things that you were doing or or
0: yeah, that's a maybe really good seeing good other question. people not
2: doing. <laughs> it's nice to
0: it's nice to reflect on this stuff because yeah, you don't people rarely get asked about their sort of these like really formative aspects of their educational life journey, their how do they, how they learn what they learned? So yeah, how did I? I don't know. Hmm. I It's a good question. I think like two pathways. I was, a, I was a kid who like, yeah, I had trouble speaking early on. I wasn't really very verbal very quickly. And I was always immediately from getting into school, I was always kind of the one who they told was dyslexic and ADHD. And they were always very quick to, at the, you know my earliest experiences in school. So mm-hmm. I remember struggling with the mechanics of reading Mm -hmm. And experiencing when I was young, I even like found some little writing about this, like, you know, just sort of dizziness. Like you try to focus on words and they're because of the sort of... um they're, they have like a sort of, they would they move around and you would become sort of dizzy, right? Mm. So the mechanics of learning how to read was this real challenge, but I was really mm. driven to like stories and books in general, because I was pretty lucky, because my dad is a writer and I lived in a house with tons of books. Mm. I was driven to uh, try to, yeah, master something <laughs> from that. And, um, and, and, and so there's some like early experiences where I was like struggling with, I think early music stuff, associating sounds and 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 that sort of like helped my I think reading and dyslexia and all that and 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 also early struggles with reading they sort of seem to coalesce into something yeah into like (laughs) creative endeavors Mm. writing reading playing music um so I I I, those were like quickly became my main like sort of things
2: yeah so Just to clarify, were you saying that music helped you in in your
0: Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah.
2: In, in your kind of uh early development.
0: Yeah. Early yeah, development no, I, I with, think like so. with reading specifically. I think, I, I think like sounds? looking back on it now, it was it was like part of it. It was like mm. it was like sound recognition, associating sounds with symbols. Right. Like these things that I was like strangely struggling with. So school would never really offer me that. Because when you when I went to school, I would feel you know, very, very um, dumb, essentially. Mm. <laughs> and then, but, I, but deep down, I didn't feel dumb. Right. Like, I felt mm. like, you know, I was doing all kinds of things. I was thinking all kinds of things. Mm. So I, 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 needed, I quickly needed to find these, like, outlet, outlets that right. would allow me to, yeah, sort of master my own, not master, but gain some control over my own expression, communication. Mm. Some of it was music. Mm-hmm. Some of it was reading and writing. And I was quickly writing stories. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so yeah.
1: I guess you have to get creative just to to learn the basics. I mean, just... To eat. learn how you
0: think. Mm-hmm. To, to, to how, how do mm-hmm. you think and how is it different than how everyone else right. thinks? Right, which, yeah. which yeah. is hard
1: to do when you're in school and they're giving you one very specific way of learning. And, yeah. you know, I think yeah. I, I from what I've heard from my students, I think it's changing and they yeah, are so. understanding different learning techniques. Mm-hmm. But when we were going to school, I think it was all just very, you should understand these things the way I'm explaining it to you. And if not, there's a problem with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's up to you to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, was that yeah. kind of good the point. Yeah, situation? Really good point,
0: Karen. Yeah, I think, I think it was really different, like educational climate, right? At that time. Mm-hmm. And and things have changed a lot. But yeah, no, it's just, there, was, there was essentially only... You know, one way to go about doing things and instruction would only follow one path, more or less. And and yeah, it, it, like yeah, the simple things were were a challenge, but in, at some level, complex things were like things that people might consider complex were not actually didn't seem as challenging. So it was, it was like it was like both it's kind of just figuring out where you're at, you know, mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but but music and, and, and um, writing, that was always like super important and intertwined. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So two things that you said right off the bat here that I'd love to dive into. Mm. Um, the first thing that you mentioned was that your dad is a writer. Mm. And so I would love to hear about how that influenced your creative drive to read and write, especially because you had challenges with both of those things early on, did you feel more of uh, either pressure or motivation to kind of conquer those things because they were important in your household?
0: Uh, maybe I don't know. I, I think uh, I think it was it wasn't pressure, but it was definitely mm-hmm. like m- maybe motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to, and I don't know if it's because they were important. Like like I think it's like yeah, they they became. I saw them as like important things in the world. That is books, being with books reading things <laughs> <laughs> as being like an important way to kind of be in the world. And I saw people who engaged in the world, like in a writerly or a readerly kind of way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I thought that was, I saw people doing that around me and I thought that was, mm-hmm. I thought that was important. Yeah. Uh,
2: primary, and you're, you're,
0: and my parental and my dad, figures, yeah, like exactly. yeah. Yeah.
2: arguably, like the most important people mm-hmm. around you in terms of development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then the second thing that you said that I think is like completely pertinent to what you are doing now is oh. you mentioned you were having some trouble associating sound with signs and so when we say signs (laughs) (laughs) that leads me to bring up semiotics so it is just really interesting how specifically the things that you had trouble with when you were a little kid and when you were when you were you know developing your identity are things that have become such huge Mm. integral or not have become but have obviously been huge integral parts of your life, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is reading and writing, obviously. You're mm-hmm. you're a published writer, you're a professor, and specifically a kind studying of professor, I guess. <laughs> teaching professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also studying semiotics. That is mm-hmm, what you do. So it is it level, is yeah. pretty cool that rather <laughs> than shying. you picked up on that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Go on, sorry.
2: Well no, I just wanted to bring up like it, it is really cool that rather than shying away from these very specific avenues that gave you trouble, you focused in on them and like really mm-hmm. pursued them and mastered them.
0: Yeah, I try. I, I guess I I guess I did. Uh, no. So I think I think you're right. You're right. I was driven towards thinking about education because a lot of my educational experiences were not, you know, full of meaning, let's say. And I had certain music teaching, music teachers, exposure to certain arts teachers early on. That, that should mean, okay, yeah, education is a very powerful and uh, interesting thing. And then you're right, yeah, and then thinking about meaning making, signification that leads you to think about semiotics, the study of signs and meaning making. And yeah, no, that was a really early influence too at least from the age of like 18, 19 mm-hmm. onwards, and was sort of key to thinking about lots of different things in, and in some level, just thinking about things as being, yeah, things, uh, things as being meaningful and meaning-making and, and, and thinking about that, you know, all around you, right? Um, but yeah, no, you're right. No, I, I think it's because, uh, no, I, I dug down into certain areas and then I just kind of continued to dig down into them.
2: And I think even just that sentence kind of speaks to what you said earlier, where it's like you were having some trouble with sort of these simple mechanical things, whereas Mm. like larger, abstract, more complex concepts were not as challenging for you. So even just the sentence that you just said, like things are meaning making. I'm like, well, what does that mean? You know, (laughs) that's that's really a way that my brain like processes. So it is, I think it's just like indicative of, Just like the way that you have formed your own education or like the Mm -hmm. way that you are interested in perceiving the world and Mm -hmm. also distilling it for students.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, and I, and I do, and I do really like, like teaching. And I think that's like one of the things that I, I fell into really young by accident music through music teaching. And I, and I was lucky to have like some early formative educational experiences I think made me, or as a young teacher that made me feel like, okay, this is very powerful and something I want to keep doing more of. And that was specifically working with like kids, really, really young children at a daycare for one thing. Mm -hmm. And then also working with senior citizens through, um, music programming through the city of Richmond and I'm teaching many classes, large classes to senior citizens, music classes. And and I, I those were very important. Looking back, I can see them as being really like important formative experiences where my path towards education became more sown, but I became, but yeah, I, I was always interested in in terms of like how I was interested in it. So like, what in education was I interested in mm-hmm. <laughs> and what was I not interested in? But I, what was your question? Did you have a question? I can't remember what you said. Sorry. Um, Lost a thread. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. That's yeah, really yeah. interesting.
1: <laughs> well, I just want to know. This has nothing yeah, to yeah, do yeah, with anything. Yeah. But what What did you teach your uh, the senior citizens? Like what kind of music...
0: Well, lots of, uh, di- di- different. it became di- different sorts of things. It became like um, one of the things I, I was teaching there the, the at first before I was doing other courses was just ukulele only oh. and classes of ukulele and people singing. And then it became Aww. like other things like music theory. And then it also became sort of multi-instrumental ensembles. And it just became like a kind of a way, it, it became lots of, we did lots of different things in these courses and I did it only for about, Maybe two and a half years or something like that. It's like an amount of time. But yeah, it was fun. Yeah, Yeah. no, yeah, I learned a lot. And, uh, yeah. Sorry
2: to interrupt you. This was a question I wanted to ask you later on, and I do want to ask it in a different context, in the context of your university courses. Mm. But I want to ask it here. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about creativity specifically, like through teaching senior citizens and also like really young kids, like mm-hmm. from the daycare? Mm. Since that's very different to you know the students that you're teaching now. Is there anything? What, what that, did
0: I learn? Yeah, it's a good question about um,
2: creativity specifically. Okay.
0: I'm not. I'm not sure if what I learned about creativity specifically, but maybe I can answer that. I, I learned something important about intergenerationality. Yeah, that's Importance great. of education being intergenerational yeah. and the importance of intergenerational connections mm-hmm. more broadly. And I and I kind of can see also that we we don't know what any human is capable of learning. You know what I mean? At at Mm -hmm. one level, it could be a senior citizen, it could be a four-year-old kid. You never truly know. And there's all these little moments in education where things are very indeterminate and different things can emerge. And it's that space that kind of, it's a a risky space, I would say. It's like a space where I grew to kind of like that space of possibility. And I could Mm -hmm. kind of see that in those courses I was teaching to senior citizens as well as my work with like really young kids mm-hmm. and yeah and it, i don't i don't know what it, i t- learned about creativity really specifically though mm-hmm. and i don't even know if i yeah i don't know mm-hmm. what i think about creativity in general
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, that's fair, all right. that's fair. <laughs> but that's i have fair. some ideas
0: I, yeah. I i know what i think about like practice mm. a lot of and yeah. and i and like the, the sort of the pra- creative practice and maybe creative process. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I can talk more about that than then, then what creativity is at like a, at another level. I, I'm not 100% sure. That's well, fine. Oh,
2: yeah. And I would love to get into that with you. But before we get off the topic of intergenerationality, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to know just a little bit more, like just a few more specifics about... You know, especially working with senior citizens, because we really don't spend a lot of time talking about education or and mm-hmm. and, and even connection with senior citizens mm-hmm. besides like, mm-hmm. you know, relationships with grandparents and and mm-hmm. even if, you know even even that, we don't really as a society spend a lot of time with or talking about our our elders. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'd love to just dive into that a yeah, little bit with you.
0: i could I could say a bit more, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um okay, so I learned a couple of things. I learned that some people, consider themselves like lifelong learners no matter what and they have, will always embark into learning something new with a lot of confidence mm. and and I could see that you could easily be 88 years old and that that would still very much be the case like you were still very confident learning something new and I also saw other people uh, would feel um, you know much less confident and 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 have all these um, ways of Explaining, you know, why they can't do something or wouldn't be able to do something, mm-hmm. and 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 it was, and I and I could kind of see that people's, you know, narratives of themselves as learners, their educational, mm, their ways of thinking about education, stay with them, you know, yeah, for a really long time. So they have all these conceptions that you know might come from when they were like kids in grade school. You never yeah. know, right?
2: Well, and it brings me back to like your experience too, yeah. being no, true. told yeah. like. I have, you have all of these challenges, these mm-hmm. hurdles. Like you, and again, I know I, I already said this, but you could have definitely gone the other way of like, okay, well, I'm just not going to read. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. going to mm-hmm. invest so, yeah. all, all my time into. Yeah, because, and I, I this could lead us into your creative practices because and processes because mm-hmm. I imagine you had to develop those to to make learning easier for you.
0: Certainly, yeah, yeah. There's definitely like little things I learned. Earlier on to make things easier, like you're saying, um, it's fun. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what those are because I'm, I'm kind of. Um, I could try to explain, but, but anyway, we could we could talk about that. But what what was the other part of your question? The other thing was, what did you say again?
2: I think I lost it. <laughs> no,
0: I. It's okay. No, it's fine. We were I, talking I, about... I could talk about the. Yeah, the, there are little things that I I learned about myself that made mm-hmm. learning easier. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we
2: were talking about senior citizens and yeah. their narratives, so mm-hmm. these. Lifelong learners who are confident learners who are open-minded and and have, Mm -hmm. I guess the the like the
3: fortitude to 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 perseverance yeah mm -hmm, keep learning to keep
2: learning versus the people who have an ingrained sort of self sabotage mentality or or people Mm -hmm. who are who are maybe tamped down early on saying like, oh you know, you have this challenge and this challenge you Mm -hmm. can't do this or I or I can't do this and. Mm So I think yeah. that was kind of the thread that we were going on before I interrupted you and brought it back to... No, 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 to I,
0: I like what you're saying there. Thanks for reminding Yeah, the, thanks for reminding me of the thread. And I think, yeah, that's another idea that was really important to me really early on was openness. And one of the first articles I wrote was called Educating Openness. And it is, it is out there in the world. And it's sort of about the ideas of like, you know, it's about art. It's about these ideas around the aesthetics or poetics of openness and how... Art in the world um, elicits like, you know, there's there's not like a, a set or predetermined way to interpret things, you know what I mean? Um, you, you, we bring a little bit of our own self into that interpretation, our existential credentials. And I was really interested in ideas of like, okay, well, we, we, just like in art, just like in pedagogy, when do you sort of open the flow of possibilities and when do you sometimes inadvertently or advertently close them you know what I mean so totally. w- function to open things up or to close them down and I and I and I tried to think a lot about like okay well what in my ed- educational experience was essentially closed and I think like a lot of um some a lot of the sort of like just basic pedagogical approaches especially when it comes to teaching art teaching music were very they lead you down a particular path and mm-hmm, very and, rigid yeah they're rigid yeah like, you know, when we learn an Emily Dickinson poem and you're like, okay, what does this, po-? you take the title off in English class and you're like, what does this poem mean? And it's like the poem already has a meaning attached and it's like this riddle that the kids <laughs> are supposed to solve, right, essentially. Right. Rather and than meet, come
1: up with their own Yeah, concept. their own relationship to yeah. whatever
0: it is they're trying to interpret. And you can, you can see right in that example, a flawed pedagogical model that really at a basic level comes down to openness and closeness. Right. And and the dialectic of those two, right?
2: Right. And like the binary of like right and wrong. Yeah, the binary mm-hmm. of right and
0: wrong and and like and how, how does communication work? Like like um, like a Hallmark greeting card can can really speak to anyone because it's not saying very much of anything. Right. It's very general. And as long right. as it can be stay down that line, it, it can, it has that banality. It can kind of just sit, but, it, but does it, but it doesn't really allow much in terms of like, oh, can I really get inside of this Hallmark greeting card and really, <laughs> really, you know, go somewhere where it's not really like an art object in that sense. <laughs> yeah. And then you think about, okay, so what, what's like that in real life? Well, kitsch is like that kitchen art when, you know, you use ready-made effects
3: mm-hmm.
0: in your art, in your speech. I use the same cliches, maybe the same ways of speaking, the same ways of evoking certain emotions mm-hmm. and, and, and teachers do this too. So I like to yeah. think about and music does that and music too. Does it and, we, too. and yeah. we
2: learn those, right? Like we learn music cliches, you know, here yeah. are like all of these endings that you can use or like, here's what a minor four does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds mm. like, um, yeah,
0: I know. I guess yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah.
2: And then obviously, yeah. you know, cliches in writing that, that yeah. while they are useful in circumstances, especially for just like a shorthand, mm-hmm. it can, it does, it does kind of remove that element of, of creativity, mm-hmm. I suppose, yeah. of specificity, mm-hmm. of individuality, but yeah, they definitely serve a function, but, uh, the function is to be like quickly understood. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: mm-hmm.
2: Can be very stifling mm-hmm. to, Yeah.
0: It's funny if you like, you know, you could, you could, cons- like if you only thought in cliches, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> then you only have, you only have like these limited ways to interpret yourself. And very to know- limited, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. also,
2: yeah, just very limited, like very little nuance. Mm
3: hmm. Yeah.
2: kind of these, yeah, these basic emotions or, or states of being.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Funny. Yeah. It's interesting how, Yeah, I think about this with language, you know,
1: like some languages have different terms that we that don't have a direct translation, right? And it can really affect your understanding of the world just based on the Mm -hmm. language that you speak, right? Because you're limited, right? We're all kind of limited to our understanding of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And that shapes everything that we totally experience.
0: Uh, That's something I've always tried to emphasize is that What makes knowledge learning possible, like you're saying, is exactly what limits it. So Mm -hmm. you have a particular positionality, place in the world, you occupy a particular intersection of identities, whatever they happen to be. And that is exactly what makes knowledge possible for you. To available to you and
2: Karen, I think that really brings up a a really excellent point in terms of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And Carrie, you do a lot of work in, or or you have particular interest in, like decolonizing Mm. education. I'm wondering if you can go into that a little bit and and how that might relate to, you know, our Eurocentric Mm. (laughs) knowledge base. You know, living in Canada versus the work that you've done and bringing more awareness, more knowledge to First Nations locally and Mm -hmm. places like Mm -hmm. the land and meaning of places and bringing Mm -hmm. that into the education system.
0: Oh, thanks for bringing that up, Alex. Um, Yeah, no, okay. That's a long, long journey. (laughs) And I think it all starts when, you know, like you just learn certain things in your life world that alert you to yeah, I alert you to something that's bigger than yourself. So like you you learn that the sisters Can you go into you, that? Oh yes, for, I will explain for, that. For so the Lions or they're the colonially called the Lions, the Twin Peaks visible from most of Vancouver are originally called and still called the sisters the twin sisters uh, by the Squamish and, they, and they're supposed to represent twin Squamish sisters who married in fact uh, twin Haida brothers and it was part of an en- ending a long multi-generational conflict conflict between those northern Haida nation and on our on our Squamish people here on the coast um, so so just learning a simple story like that you learn something okay something some name some story that's associated with that name has been erased. Mm-hmm. It's been replaced with something. You you go on to learn other things like, oh, this used to be a village site. I don't know, a fish weir. Some You've learned, you you know something about how the city developed around you. And you just, and then, and then that, or you maybe you learned something about what your neighborhood, like what was it called? It was a Cedar Ridge. Okay, what happened? How did that neighborhood develop? What, what were the steps involved and sort of learning about the history of where you are in the world and sort of seeing yourself there. That's the early work, I think, of positioning, like we were talking about, positioning yourself to primarily to land, right? Mm-hmm. So you start knowing, okay, I'm on some patch of land here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't just pop out of nowhere. <laughs> and, and but, but but why am I, yeah, why am I here? What's brought me here? What is my responsibility to this place? And I think very gradually, and I'd say like over the, like, so this started when I was young, but over the last like five to 10 years in this sort of post-TRC world,
3: mm-hmm. and I, for yeah, sorry, people. Truth
0: and Reconciliation uh, Commission of Canada, um, which happened, you, know, you know, around 2015 and it had, and it started... Things, but you know, it was in motion beforehand. And I remember, you know, when I was in, when well, I was at like CAP actually, and beforehand at Brit, uh, Britannia where I went to school in East Vancouver, there were events that were related to the TRC mm-hmm. where survivors would give testimony and stuff like that. And I, so starting from these experiences and then continuing on and, and meeting people and having s- some strong mentors along the way, Land started to become really important to mm-hmm. everything I did. It, it started off as just a sort of a an egg on the sleeve. It's like, okay, where are you? Mm. <laughs> and uh, and then and then it's how to be here, and and how to and how to be here in a in a good way. And and then, but but yes, I think in the last five years, it's really become like all encompassing. When maybe it wasn't so much before. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's just ongoing. But it's it's really just trying to articulate the effects of, uh, the ongoing effects of living in settler society. Like what, what occurs, like what is still occurring? You have to have a, there's only certain perspectives will open you up to that. Not every perspective. History is important. Seeking perspectives beyond the human Mm. is important. (laughs) Post-human perspectives. (laughs) Um,
2: Which would entail what?
0: Just different ways of thinking, just like different ways of thinking about yourself in relation to the world around you. Like, how do you think about animals? How do you think about inanimate objects? Like, for instance, the fish weir that was in North Van, Stisma, so it's Maplewood Flats. The pegs in that, it's 1,300 years old, the ruins, but the pegs are still there and they're Mm. in the ground and you can go see them. And this fish weir had a name. The name was sort of like any name. It was like a person's name. Houses would also have names and they wouldn't necessarily be much, they wouldn't, they would be thought of as like these permanent staples on the land that would be added to grow over time. And they had, and they had, and so, so you can think about, you can think about say objects that you have relationships to Mm
3: -hmm.
0: differently, not just as objects. Right. It, it, it comes down to what do you consider a person? Right. Right. How, who do you extend personhood to? Mm -hmm. Is your cat a person? Uh, I I think, I think I (laughs) I, I would like to extend personhood to lots of animals. Right. And, and also do you only think about the animals and the, and the beings that are most like you? Right. Mm -hmm. Like what about.
2: Domesticated that we see. Yeah. Every day. What about
0: like bacteria that's really important
3: or, or, or
0: insects, the things that we don't Mm -hmm. really, you know, they're not the megafauna, they're not the gorillas or the pandas, Mm -hmm. you know with their habitats being destroyed that we can get these environment, you know, or the
2: animals that we've industrialized. Yes.
0: Or the animals that we have a relationship because we're, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like
2: cattle, chicken, like the, they're, they're often certainly not granted personhood, you know, or even the acknowledgement of, experiences and feelings but yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah need to get too deep into that <laughs> no, so no. stay on the, yeah. Yeah. i want to stay on the conversation yeah uh, i want right? to stay on the road of um of, oh, yeah, of your journey of creativity but i mm. think that it, it is so fascinating your work with the map making curriculum mm. that you developed yeah, with your fun. partner
0: mm. i can tell okay i'll tell i'll tell you some things creativity and in, in terms of how does it enter the classroom mm-hmm. and i've been doing tons of map making stuff with like different people for a while now, and like one of the things you're referring to is, yeah, flip the map, and, and that's a fun way of just saying, like, okay, well, look at a map of the Fraser River of, of the Lower Mainland, but let's flip it so that it's not just along its normal north-south cardinality, but it's, like, more along the waterways, so you see a completely different way of relating to this landscape. And I mean, what you often find when you show this to students is they are not familiar with the flipped orientation mm-hmm. because their normal north-south cardinality becomes completely, you know you can't follow it anymore. It's, they're disoriented. So maps often have this really interesting potential. And I'll tell you one work that I did with my students last summer that I'm most proud of is it was this class where, you know, th- we had this sort of a land acknowledgement projects where the, where the students would go out in groups to different sites all over the lower mainland, poor historical ecological sites, settler indigenous history, all different sites, a village site, a, a certain like, Midden, all kinds of different things. Um, You know, even even like the history of like things that happened in Chinatown and racialized immigrant communities there and and et cetera, et cetera. And and we put this all together on a Google Earth map and it became Mm -hmm. this really big annotated Google Earth map where you could just sort of look and you would learn all about these different, villages and histories and mm-hmm. and, it, and, and then we we're still using it. And it actually became really helpful as those students went on and did their practicums becoming because they're doing their, their practicums to become teachers in the school system. And they So if they're teaching in say the Oak Ridge area, well, what do you know about the Oak Ridge area? So you can use the map to like learn about Musqueam sites and important other things that happened, how that area was developed, all these important things. Mm. So the map is like grown, it continues to grow. Wow. And, and the students are still using it. And we're currently, some of us are trying to write, we're trying to make a website, but also write an article, a co-written article that's kind of about our process. That's really
3: building cool. Building to
0: it. So yeah. that's like one example of the sort of the mapping stuff. But mapping, yeah, mapping is a really great way to see yourself in the world. But being creative
3: <laughs> uh,
0: with how you map the world mm-hmm. and, and thinking about qualitatively mapping the world, you know, like your own relationship to something. How do you map that?
2: All right. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a big question. That is a big carry <laughs> Carrie, oh, before question. we get off of mm-hmm. um, flip the map, is that, oh, sorry, I think I'm, I'm, I'm conflating the two so the project that you did last summer it, with sort, it students, sort of stems what,
0: from that flip the map work. okay but they're I not the flip same flip project. The map is like an early project that we did yeah with the okay. group that 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 group you mentioned at the beginning mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so good job you mentioned it um <laughs> yeah so th- we have sort of an early i'd say cr- really flexible kind of curriculum resource gotcha that different teachers and people have used Luckily they've they've people have found it useful I mean some mm-hmm. people have found it useful
2: <laughs> And then with the project that you the annotated map that yes. you did with your university students is that available for people to see? It, like It, 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 it will it, actually it will be?
0: be available for people to see. That's the next kind of step right now. And I think, and, and like, we've all kind of, we're all fine with it. It's all publicly available information. So nothing, mm-hmm. so we're all, we're, we're all comfortable with it being shared. And that's the kind of next step. We're going to share okay. it. But yeah, Flip the Map is sort of like maybe an early critical decolonizing mapping project that informed this work, say this more recent work with these students. But I love that work with the students because it was sort of something that grew, we grew into it. It wasn't like, it was. It became a thing as we right. did it. We grew into the knowing. It didn't just get handed down to us, you know? Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. I thought was like, the, that was what was kind of really meaningful about it. And I'm, I'm happy to say we started it last summer, last May. And some of us, not all of the people, but a good group of us are still working on this and still contributing, so. That's awesome. That's so yeah.
1: cool. It seems like a big through line in a lot of your work in academia is based on the idea of like expanding knowledge sources or you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. decentralizing right. like where you are doing your research from and like how you're gathering information and opening it up to people and i noticed that i w- i was checking out the, the group your website And I saw a quote that says, we're inspired by the importance of research as a public praxis that is sustained and created by people and communities, not only experts and formal institutions, which I thought was really cool. Um, It Mm. seems it's interesting to me hearing you talk about creativity or being maybe a little unsure of what creativity means to you, because it's so apparent to me in just listening to you talk about the way you teach and the way you gain knowledge or you know the mm-hmm. way you research it it just seems very intrinsic to you can you can you talk a bit about the group and how that kind of came to be and the sure. idea of expanding research and and yeah. um making yeah. it community focused? I, I can
0: certainly talk about that thanks thanks for doing your more homework Karen, that's nice of you to read that off the website. No, uh, was a great poem. No, 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 it's great. no, it's nice to even you even looked looked it up in the first place. Um yeah, so so the group, yeah, so I think that's, she's a professional. yeah, she's good. She's good. Um, I think that's I think, yeah. so that started with, yeah, that was like me and my partner a long time ago, and other people involved too. but like back in like, yeah, the time, like after we were finished our undergrad sort of swimming in that area where you want to do creative I would say intellectual things like we wanted to you know have reading groups where we read things and 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 maybe do these fun projects and I don't know something like this but we were finding it kind of hard to get these things off the ground so we start it kind of started with a, a sort of what do we call it it was like a little symposium that we did at Galliano Island and some actually really nice um, retired professor from UBC hosted us at his place. Thomas was there. Mm. This was 2016, our I think. Our friend Thomas Holer. Yeah, Thomas Holer. <laughs>
2: Fantastic musician, producer. He's and, been mentioned once on and, the on the pod mm-hmm. for, and, for yeah. our listeners. Sure, it won't and be the last. <laughs> he'll come back, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he was always uh, he was always part of it too. Uh, um,
2: and Eli as well.
0: Yeah, Eli and Eli was always doing stuff uh, along with us as well. These are
2: some uh, Capilano jazz alumni for, for yeah, 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 our non-jazz point. listeners. <laughs> good point,
0: yeah. Um, so yeah, so we just started trying to do stuff like that. And it gradually, that grew into, I think around 2015, a site we have called Philosophasters, which is really fun. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what you guys do. We have like interviews with artists and scholars mm-hmm. and, and sort of a, random fun and other things.
2: That's a, a website. It's right? a website. Yeah.
0: It's, still a, it's still out there. And it and honestly, yeah, it's, um, it, it's it's been, it's mostly lives as an interview site to this day. Um, But that was kind of one thing we did. And and we'd also host like events. Like we'd say, have a a space where we get together to workshop. One of our early events was creativity and the ambiguity and the creative process. That was Mm -hmm. a round table we had downtown. Michael Ling was involved. A bunch of people were involved. And so we had these different things. We were just trying to get off the ground, really. But the whole idea of the group, to get back to your question, Karen, is it's stemming from these sorts of projects. We eventually sort of started an official, a registered BC Society. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a full thing. It's a real thing. It has Mm -hmm. membership fees and things like that. We eventually started that, but specifically to make kind of an organization that was sort of decentralized groups. So groups that were not really, you know, formal institutional groups or formal something other groups, but these groups that could emerge, kind of like myself and my students that I was referring to, like running with certain ideas about, where we are in the lower mainland, flip the map, we did something and the group came together and it continued on in some form. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, it's, it's kind of about trying to celebrate those sorts of things mm-hmm. that we were doing earlier on. And and I've been lucky, I've been happy in the sense that we've created a few different little resources and, and some teachers out there, teachers from different parts of the world and, and local educators and, and other scholars and artists have actually reached out and done stuff with our resources and and so it's been it's been nice honestly it's been a nice little community building exercise for the last i don't know four years or so five years longer you can see it has tentacles that go longer so it's hard to refer to but yeah mm-hmm. it's maybe the group itself is only like three years old or something yeah well, that's cool or four years old nice
3: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Awesome. what does
2: that mean to become a registered be uh a BC registered society? Is that what? Yeah. Yeah. No, it doesn't mean, it
0: doesn't mean that much. It just means like, uh, we like formally registered with the province. So like all those arts organizations that you see that can receive like funding
3: from like Mm -hmm.
0: the government Mm -hmm. or, or other funding sources, they're all societies. So it's just, it's just like you could, anyone can form a BC society. You just have to say like, you have to have like, you have a, a treasurer and a current president and a and it, it, but it's very mm. simple, honestly. And you pay like a forty dollar fee or something. It's like a minimum. It's like honestly, not it's not complicated. But it does open up certain things for us. Right, right. You know, yeah.
1: So do you have any projects with the group that you're working on right now, or do you have any yeah you know, hopes for where you want to take <laughs> yeah? Them? No,
0: we we have projects that we're working on right now. We've had we've had little things, and hopefully these little things are growing into a couple bigger things. One thing we've been interested in, and it's related to what we've been talking about, is this sort of bigger project on on educational signage mm-hmm. and public pedagogy. And it's kind of under this umbrella called, okay. Can a City Be a School? And it's kind of looking at places as, you know, so if we look at the city of Vancouver, we have lots of parks, those parks, and we have other public spaces, and those parks and public spaces have signage. They have educational signage, right? That tells you about the place, the history of the place. Right. And the you plants. mean
2: the literal signs? The like literal, the, signs, the literal yes, signs. I mean, I that mean have like the lit- write-up of the I, yeah, ecosystem, exactly. or like a plaque, or
0: yes. And we also yeah. have other ways. Yeah. So we have. I mean the literal signs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but then we also have other, say, environmental signs, or like other ways of of shaping the environment that allow certain things to happen, right? Can you give
2: us an example? Yeah, yeah.
0: So, like, certain parks could be more set up to encourage gathering. Hmm. Certain parks could be more set up to encourage historical reflection. Right. So, it would be certain set up to encourage ecological exploration, environmental exploration. So, so hiking, exercise, yes, exactly. learning about plants. Like yeah,
2: kind of those wide open spaces with gazebos and tables. Yeah. Or
0: exercising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so we we all know that sites have public spaces have this inherent potential and municipalities and people harness this potential already but but we're, kind of what this is a project is about is getting together a working group of people different actors who will go to certain sites in the city and 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 think about how their educational potential can be honored in a better way or more more fully mm-hmm. how can it be how can they be honored more fully and I'll give you one example so one of my students who's actually indigenous as part of that land acknowledgment project I was telling you about he did a lot of work at, like, Stanley Park. And there's this famous, there's a 3,000-year-old there's a village site at Stanley Park, Lumberman's Arch, called Hue, Hue. Lots mm-hmm. of interesting things happened there. George Vancouver went right by there. August Jack Catsalano was born there. Many other famous people. The, the city eventually destroyed that village after a huge potlatch happened there in the 1880s, I guess, late 1880s. But my indigenous student realized something really fundamental about how this site was being erased and documented at the same time Mm -hmm. by this colonial space of Stanley Park. And how at the actual site of Lumberman's Arch, despite the fact that this patch of grass has been cleared for 3,000 years and they dug up the middens to make the seawall all around you, despite all this history, there's no honor, there's no sign honoring that village site anywhere near Lumberman's Arch. The only sign in Stanley Park that refers to Huehuay is near the totem poles, mm. and it only refers to it in the most oblique and indirect way. And it shows you a picture of another village that was supposed to maybe could look like Hue Hue you know, like it does. And it doesn't tell you anything about this history, so it's sort of dehistoric. It it, it lost its historical depth, mm-hmm. and and then it's next to a bunch of totem poles that are all totem poles that were crafted around the time when Stanley Park was, you know, being formally launched in the twenties and thirties, and thereby. Kwakwiolta, Kwakiwaka, and Haida artists primarily, so Northern Vancouver Island and Haida Gwaii. And and so not even the Squamish right. or Musqueam mm-hmm. or Tsleil-Waututh artists, or in this case, it should probably be Squamish artists. And so none of this is, is honored. And it's, it's very interesting. So like, why is that the case? Why, despite the fact that people have like called for Stanley Park to be renamed Hui, Hui mm because I think I think the whole park could be called Hoi mm-hmm. It was the most prominent village there. You know, many people have made these calls, it's, and they've entered the media at various times in history, but there's still not even a, a basic sign
3: <laughs> to tell <Right>. you <laughs>
0: where the place was where you're actually standing there.
3: Right. And and mm. it, one
0: kind of earlier experience that happened back in 21 for me and my education 100 students, a very young, awesome group of students who were like 18 years old. And we went out to that village site, because they wanted to learn more about it. They, we read about it in one place, and we wanted to learn more about it. And we literally mapped out the dimensions of the big house in Stanley Park. And the house is 260 feet across. It's really huge. It was the house that they tore down where Jack Castellano was born. Hmm. And uh, it's called it's called De Hay. It has a name, just like a person's name.
2: For those of us who don't know, can you tell us a bit about who Jack Castellano is? Yeah,
0: so Castellano, like you know the neighborhood in Vancouver, this is where hmm. it comes from. Uh, yeah, Katsellano was a really important Squamish chief in the early sort of contact period, colonial contact mm-hmm. period, and and yeah, a no, really interesting, fascinating guy. You can, I'd suggest anyone read Conversations with Katsellano, which is a book you can get, um, which is just his his like conversations over the course of many many years with the Vancouver archivist uh, J S Matthews. It's really interesting. Cool, you learn mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, I know he's an interesting, really important figure. His yeah, um, in the history of Vancouver sorry did you really yeah, yeah so
2: the long house where he was born yeah right? so,
0: just, so just so just like going there and then mapping it out with your bodies and measuring it because we've used his map to measure out the dimensions of the house mm-hmm. and then we could actually understand something about this site we'd say oh this house is even bigger than we we even we couldn't we couldn't really visualize it in space you know what I mean right. until we actually did it and it kind of tells you the it shows you the power of honoring something in space, in time, in place.
2: Right, as opposed to just reading the figures on a page that mean nothing. Yeah, it could could be, yeah,
0: in in terms of that, yeah. So so exactly, so this project is kind of just about getting together a working group of people. So let's say indigenous people who are involved in trying to advocate the city to change certain sites, biologists, plant people, Mm -hmm. ecologists, other actors representing different neighborhoods, like other kinds of people, like just literally get together an interesting working group of people, approximately, like, 10 to 15 people, to go to certain sites that we have already kind of located. Hue mm-hmm. Hue is one of them, as, like, needing some intervention. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, that's kind of one thing that we're trying to get off the ground, like, right now, for instance. And, and, yeah. and so cool.
2: your uh, your student that you mentioned it was is. doing specific work around Hue Hue in, in Stanley Park.
0: Yeah, that's and those, cool. so my student was sort of what. Uh, that one student I was referring to was was sort of like I re- we already knew about the Weihui site, but he revealed to me sort of how inadequate the signs were. Got and it. how the signs themselves were sort of erasing what was there in the place. Right. like they they honestly didn't want to honor the actual site. because I think it's very political uh, for them to say, like, oh, yeah, here stood a very ancient village and two hundred and sixty meter long house. And we destroyed it. (laughs) Right. There's no there's no there's no there's no no admit they don't they don't admit this. There's no accountability
2: acknowledgement.
0: Yeah. yeah. There's
1: acknowledgement unless unless they have to then acknowledge uh, their own mm. their own uh, Complicity. role and yeah 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 um yeah that's really interesting that's so true i think we have a lot of acknowledgement or like you know the the city is trying to acknowledge these spaces but is also actively erasing them and yeah it's such an interesting project to mm-hmm. kind of go against that and <laughs> yeah it's really cool <laughs>
0: Yeah.
3: Um so Thanks.
2: I know that we're we're kind of coming up to
0: I know I talked a lot. We've, I know.
2: we've spoken a lot yeah, and right. really, really interesting, <laughs> really interesting. Top, topics. Mm-hmm. Obviously your work is um complex and deep and and so needed. Oh, oh nice. Um <laughs> and I love nice to hear to, I you. love to hear about it. But I do wanna just come come back to you for a second. Mm. So one thing that's really interesting is that you did go through the same jazz program that Karen and I mm. went went to as well, the jazz program at Capilano University. Yeah. And many of our cohorts follow an education stream, which you did as well, but yeah. you, t- you took quite a different path compared mm-hmm. to most of the people who do the education stream to go and become music teachers. You went on to get your PhD in education mm-hmm. at SFU. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to to hear from you sort of your path from jazz into academia because I know that you were actively participating in academia before you were actually part of
0: academia. academia (laughs) You were
2: doing your own research your Mm. own writing Um, and so I'd love to hear about sort of your where jazz and academia converge for you Mm -hmm. and also what your own personal practice was was with developing an academic mind, essentially.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- okay. I definitely didn't develop an academic mind in school.
2: Let's mm. just say
0: that per se. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not exactly.
2: So let's start there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, no. So, um, but yeah, no. So I think, yeah, I was at CAP, like, you know, uh, just a little, like, basically, we didn't really meet at CAP. No, we didn't yeah, at yeah, yeah, all. Yeah.
2: We didn't have... <laughs> but you, I remember you,
0: Karen. We. I was a little bit Ahead of you, but I, think I remember you graduated you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the
2: year that you started, oh, okay, or maybe
0: yeah. I remember after. you sort of coming in. I think as I, I was, was leaving, perhaps. Okay, okay. Yeah, 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 I was yeah. small
2: potatoes
1: at that <laughs> time. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that's funny. Um, yeah, so yeah, so it was, it was, yeah, you no, know, and a lot, and me, a couple of my friends and I, who I grew up with, yeah, we went to cap together and that was great and and i was i i was teaching you know really early on luckily and getting this these different experiences and i was kind of setting myself up on an educational stream to say become you know like a career as a band teacher like so many of my friends still mm-hmm. do and at the, but then just because of some early educational opportunities to say work at a certain conservatory that was like really um the students were very i would say just very great musicians and um, and then also things like the the programming, the senior music program, and, and these sorts of things kept me away from that. And, and, <laughs> from uh, going down yeah, going, the line Yeah, of go, like, yes, teaching yeah, in yeah high going into the public school a, yeah. um, sort of path. And but I'm still very drawn to thinking seriously about education. And I was yeah way back, like I said, when I was at Cap, because for whatever reason I was writing things that you would say, you would call educational theory, educational philosophy. And I was reading journals, I remember when I was at CAP, that were, you know, it was like the SFU journal of like, Philosophy of, of education at the time. I was reading that. It was open access. I specifically read things that I could read,
3: <laughs> <laughs> open access <laughs> journals, <laughs>
0: and and uh, and I started. So sort of like while I was at Cap, I had some really interesting teachers, non music teachers, who I uh, who were I, I consider writing teachers, Stan Persky who you might know you can look him up after, is a really acclaimed uh, gay writer, wrote some really important works in the 80s, like Then We Take Berlin and others. So I, I took some courses with him there. Also Ryan Knighton, who's a really interesting local writer and, and um, just had a whole interesting career in writing. I had the writing bug from before and I kept doing it like I I like when I was like a 12 I wrote young adult fiction <laughs> oh. as a young adult or a young nice. for young kid so I have nice. like I have like things from back then one of them is Buddy Lamoni's Big Break I can show you that later it's a Amazing. whole like novella wow. or, or it's funny actually it's I honestly title. I think yeah. it's good it's surprisingly it holds up surprisingly well much better than like uh, most of my writing, anything I actually any any creative fiction writing I've tried since then, I think has failed pretty bad. Mm, but you Buddy Lamoni, I hit it good because it just has a it has like a three act structure, and I didn't like shy away from the simplicity of that three act structure. I didn't try to do anything like over the top, you know, fancy mm. or or too or too up my own ass, and <laughs> so it just reads like surprisingly coherent. I'm like, whoa, it's mm. like this is like a clear narrative arc. <laughs>
1: Do you think that that's what was the downfall of your subsequent work? Was that you're trying too hard?
0: At various points along the way, definitely trying too hard and not Mm -hmm. sure what you're trying at. Right,
1: yes. (laughs) Trying for trying's sake rather than...
0: But I'll tell you one thing I did that was interesting at CAP. I think it's interesting looking back now. So I was writing these things. I I was writing articles and I would stay with the article. So I was stuck with one article called Educating Openness for like a long time. And so by the time I was like, say, done my undergrad at CAP, that year afterwards or so, or maybe before, I was just like submitting the article to journal the journals that I read, one or two journals that I read. And I just kind of was like, okay, well, this would be a great way for me to get some feedback. I didn't really know what I was like going into. Mm-hmm. But I gradually, quickly learned a lot through the peer review process. And I learned that I was capable, like, I, I remember I went through like um, several rounds of review. It was nice to hear back from like three different reviewers. And then it was like, the paper was like nearly accepted, but then at some very late stage, it was rejected, this first paper I was talking mm. about. But, uh, but it, I had learned so much kind of, well, first that they could take me seriously enough. Like mm. I could submit something and they could take me seriously enough to really like go through it and unpack it. And so I was like, okay, I'm capable of doing this thing that I didn't know what I was doing. Right. <laughs> now I'm doing it. And it seems like I can sort of do it.
3: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then
0: then ever since then, that was enough and it just kind of kept me going. So then, so then, you know, I, I met certain people at the right time. Like, right when I started taking a course, I was interested in art theory and aesthetics and I took a course with a woman who later became my supervisor and then she got me involved in a big music education research project that was happening.
2: And this was at SFU. Yeah,
0: All at SFU, yeah, yeah. later on, yeah. And then um, and then she kind of helped me get in, she got me into to help my path towards the PhD. All often, all in a, a large part on the backs, uh, on the back of this article or, or a couple articles I had written, mm-hmm. because I stayed with them so long, they eventually went from, you know, they eventually got Into shape, like you know, I I learned what it takes to kind of stay with something, right? And and make and you know go through many many years of revision, and just with sort of like having this propelled me into lots of things.
1: And is that it's very fortuitous,
0: it's very lucky. I was a lot of it was being in the right place at the right time, meeting somebody at the right time.
1: But I think you also have to like be ready to take on those opportunities as well, right? This might this might be a bit of a stretch, but as I'm hearing you talk, I'm thinking that. You know, um, in music and like creative fields, mm-hmm. we have to be kind of open, like we have to be flexible, we have to be improvisers, you know, especially as jazz musicians, it seems like possibly that helped mm-hmm. you to navigate these, yeah. like to see the potential in these things and just kind of have a goal and have ideas, but be willing to to follow the path and being it, having it be a, yeah. a bit of a murky path. Oh, it's very murky. Yeah, yeah. No,
0: I th- and you're right. I think that improvisational disposition is really important. I wrote an article in 2018 called The Improvising Scholar too. Mm. And it was kind of about, oh, cool. it was sort of about how indeterminate <laughs> that path was, mm-hmm. right? Just like how murky it was, but how you sort of have to, you know, improvise each step of the way. There's a, there's a saying from this anthropologist, I like Tim Ingold, that to learn is to improvise a movement along a way of life. So that's what learning wow. is. To, to learn is to improvise a movement along a way of life. So there's some way of life that comes before you. People have walked certain paths. They've done things. So it's, but y- there's, there's these movements of life that, and the, for, yeah, along a way of life. And, but the important thing is that you have, to, you have to move through the path on your own. Somebody can't do it for you. They can't mm-hmm. pick you up on their back and take you. You actually mm-hmm. have to be the one who's moving through this way of life and what's more, you have to improvise
3: because
0: mm-hmm. it will not be the same. Just because it's a path doesn't mean it'll be the same for you. Right. Right. So, so I, I, I think that's a really good sort of ethos to keep in mind is that mm-hmm. to learn is to improvise a movement along a way of life. Yes, there were ways of life that I saw early on being a writer, meeting like my dad's friends who are writers. And dad. And my dad. And seeing this kind of life that you could have. And, and then that's a way of life, but no one will tell you exactly how you're going to improvise your way Mm -hmm. through it. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, if you think about no one can really, none of us can really be like anyone else. Like I couldn't have, like, if I, if somebody had told me before I started grad school or whatever that Carrie, you need to become a researcher, but this is what you need to study. You need to study this thing. I'm telling you what it is and you're gonna go along this path. Eventually, if you do this for 10 years, you'll be an expert in such and such field. And then you'll, (laughs) I would have never been able to do, follow any of that. I could only (laughs) do the thing that I was doing at that time and, mm-hmm. and do it the way that I was doing. And hopefully it would lead into yeah. other things, right? So it's always kind of been like that.
1: Yeah, it's really it's really interesting that you s- say that. I've, I've never heard that quote, but that mm. is such a great way to think about it. One of the things that Alex and I talked about in I think our first episode or two was this idea that creativity has to be like this act of genius. And I think we... We have to, like, forge a mm. path that hasn't been made, you know? It's an idea of of creating from nothing, mm-hmm. and that's just not true, right? Mm-hmm. And you're right, we're all creative in our own ways. We all we all follow paths that have been mm-hmm. laid out in front of us, but we follow them in different ways, right? We can't do it the same way. That's, that's so cool, too. Do you think of it that way?
2: And really, nice. that comes down to the crux of what we're trying to get at with this podcast is gleaning a little bit of, of experience and 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 knowledge. Just being able to glance that path of these of our of our friends who have all pursued creativity in one way or another, whether that's like through education, through teaching, through performing, <laughs> through mm-hmm. writing, mm-hmm. composing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Good Excellent. Point. Nice. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Carrie.
0: Thank you. Thanks yes. for having Since me. Thank yeah. you. It's nice to talk. Yeah, and it's we'd love <laughs> to have
2: you back because I know that point. you've got so, you just have, we've have so many things that we could, oh, you that's know, nice. that we've picked up so many different yes. threads that we oh. could definitely explore more. So we'd okay. love to have you back on. And we, Always wrap up each episode with mm-hmm. one creative recommendation. Oh, I don't want to mm-hmm. put you on the spot again here. So, <laughs> no, you told me beforehand. So, yeah. I thought
0: about it. Yeah. No, it's all Have fine. Have you got
2: a creative recommendation that you can share with our les- listeners?
0: Uh, to be coherent with everything I've already said, my creative recommendation is having lots of things going simultaneously.
2: Oh, nice. So, okay. because
0: yeah. I'm a nat, I'm very sort of scattered person. <laughs> um, but I, I've always thought, you know, like, Like I I can only, I can tell you my process. Like I can only, I can sort of only write something as long as I'm not only working on that one thing. So I have to have like things in various stages, things that are really close to being finished, you know, drafts that I've worked on for maybe multiple years things that are really just nascent ideas that are just bubbling, you know, you're just sketching you're just sketching the first ideas that are in that early stage, things that are in the middle. It was only once I had like a diversity of projects where I could sort of find a, a stride where I think like everything flows. Because you constantly hit walls like what like you can't be totally generative and create like you can't be at the early stages of a project forever, right? Yeah, cause mm-hmm. you, cause it, you get, you get, you only have so many crazy new ideas mm-hmm. or whatever, or, or inventiveness to explore. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes you need to be like, oh, I need to be something really redundant, like copy editing a draft that I've been sitting on for a really long time. And then, but then that will help you with the, the other thing. So it's, it's sort of like the, uh, put the thing in the drawer and then forget about it and then come back to it, mm-hmm. but then have mm-hmm. a lot of drawers.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Have a lot of things in the (laughs) drawers. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's quite a through line that we've touched on already in some of the episodes. Like whatever is in motion stays in motion. And by having a lot of different creative projects, you're staying in motion as opposed to letting Mm -hmm. yourself stagnate on one thing and remaining stagnant.
0: And a lot and I'll just add a lot of those early a lot of those things that are just trying to get off the page or onto the page, depending on your metaphor, those things just fall a lot of them just like bubble and then die. And they don't mm-hmm. ne- they don't necessarily become anything. Yeah. Some things bubble and then five years later they bubble again and become something mm. because they bubbled once five years earlier. Right, you know? right. So so I just think like, yeah, you I always have lots of things that I don't know where they're gonna go, but you have to because any any article that I, I've written and I've written many, many articles at this point, is <laughs> is that they usually take multiple years to finish. So I'm I'm always at these different stages with them, right? Yeah. And, and that's because they take so long, I could never get anything done if I was just saying, I'm gonna write one thing and I'll you've wait five years and I'm gonna have it to you. Like <laughs> Right, <that would> ne- <laughs> of course. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that right. would never yeah. happen, you know? So yeah. well and that yeah.
2: shows um, a level of dedication and I guess even just like not forethought, but just like a a level of kind of like thoroughness or in patience mm-hmm. and perseverance to follow a thread and 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 like let it and trust lie for a while. Yeah, and trust, trust that, that pro- process mm. and
1: make sure sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah oh no, 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 that's that exactly
2: yeah. it, yeah, yeah. yeah, trusting the process and and not rushing something, not forcing something because you want it to be finished, like allowing it to lie. And incubate, allowing yourself mm-hmm. to focus on other things and, and rest. Like as Kri- mm-hmm. Kriya said last episode, like taking into consideration creative rest mm-hmm. and processing and then having the f- follow-through to complete rather than just feeling maybe dissuaded from because it's been, you know, dormant mm-hmm. for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Putting like pressure that. on yourself to, to, mm-hmm. to
1: finish it straight away or that you need to... Mm-hmm. that it needs to be something so that right so that's away. a
0: great point point. and i think the secret to that is try not to worry about the product don't have too much of a product oriented mindset at all mm-hmm. so and i think writing because i'm a writer it leads itself better to that because you know you write something and then you submit it and it goes to review and then it no one you don't hear from it for like a few months mm-hmm. and then they're like oh we got all your proofs here and it's about to be published and then you read it and you're like oh i wrote this thing like a year ago i've already <laughs> moved on to something else like this scene. Oh, did I? You always have that feeling. Like, did I write this? Or like, did I write this thing here? It <laughs> feels like, oh, what? like a different the, it person. Feels, it feels different, <laughs> but like that's that's like a, that's very helpful because you have time to detach from. Because every time you, the first time I read something that I wrote. I always go through the same process. I think it's similar to music. It's like you first are like kind of disgusted by like what you wrote. Yeah. You're like, you're noticing every little flaw. You're like, why did I say this yes. thing that that is so vague? Or what the hell is this comma here for? And like or our and own I, worst
1: critics. Yeah, exactly. And
0: and then you sit there for a while and then and then you just sort of like eventually get to the point where you're like okay, it's not essentially worse than like a lot of the other things that are out there. Like it's just a thing now. (laughs) I love
2: that criteria. It's not essentially worse than a lot of the products that are out there.
0: Yeah, I know. It's just like, uh, then all the other writing that out there, it's essentially, you know, it's, it's, like, it's fine. You know? Yeah, it, like, it is.
1: I like that, too. It's just a thing. And I think yeah. we need to remember with all of our projects, they're just things. Mm-hmm. There isn't one that's the make or break. Yeah, there's exactly. Right? There's not
0: one that's the make or break. And I'll say, writing, too, the last thing I'll shut up. It's just, I just want to <laughs> say it is that is that sometimes it's like the thing that you think is going to be the best thing you're going to write. Mm-hmm. You've, you've planned it out. You've thought about it. You think it's your most brilliant idea. That's the thing that is hardest to execute that maybe in execution turned out not at all how you intended. And then the thing that you put much less plan and foresight into, but you just kind of scraped together because of a deadline or somebody was asking you to do something – Sometimes that thing can be the most like astute and like and and like creative and inventive thing, and it's like you. So you you can't really get too invested because you don't know what's going to happen. So everything has a lot of potential. Every project has a lot of potential inherently, and the ones that you think are the best may be the worst, and the ones that you don't care about <laughs> at all may be the best.
2: And that's right. really interesting to just bring it back to the beginning when you were speaking about not knowing a person's potential, whether it's a four-year-old oh, yeah. kid or an eighty-eight-year-old person, like potential is limitless, Potent- potentially, potentially, <laughs> potentially. potentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, like with your struggles in early education with reading mm-hmm. and writing, like you've come so, so far. So tr- I'm sure read that there's those- a lot. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. 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 And just like, you know, your, your journey in education starting off as like a little kid mm-hmm. who was like labeled as dyslexic and ADHD S- slow, and all that. slow, yeah, like yeah, feeling yeah. dumb, you know, I think it really <laughs> illustrates the point of potentiality. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I'm so excited. I'm so excited we had this chat and got to know you and oh, thanks, your um, your interests in your mind. I'm really excited to read the articles you mentioned. Okay. We'll link those. We'll link those, we'll link those all cuz they all sound really interesting.
2: Yeah. Please go check out Carrie's writing and Carrie's projects. well, well make sure to update when the map is public access it Mm -hmm. might not be for a while that grand
0: map yeah i know maybe sooner sooner than we think okay perfect
2: great and that is us this has been vicarious i've been alex i've been karen i'm carrie (laughs) and we'll talk to you next time bye